Welcome to 2020 Hindsight, where we look back at old classic college football games, break them down, revisit how we remember them versus what actually happened, have some fun along the way. So the idea for this podcast came from Bill Simmons' Rewatchables podcast, where they do the same things to movies that can be watched over and over. And certainly if you're a college football fan, that is the case with college football as well. So my name is Will Miles. You can find me on Twitter at WillMilesSEC or at my website, readandreaction.com. With me is co-host Nick Knudsen. You can find Nick on Twitter at Nick Knudsen FB, writing at Read and Reaction or at his website, AmericanFootballStories.com. So, Nick, we got Alabama versus Clemson part two, right? We got the best two teams in the past decade in a rematch from their 2016 Saban, Debo, Watson, Hurts. Pretty decent level of talent on the field, eh? Yeah, I just – I know the people at home are just clamoring to see Clemson and Alabama, hear more about Clemson and Alabama – so I really just want to give the people what they want. I mean, we only, we've only got to see them play like four times in the playoffs over the last like five years here. So I just, it's really, we got to get people what they want. They just want more Clemson Alabama. You can't get enough. Well, a- after last week when you were like going nuts about Ohio State and hovering <laughs> out, we had to sort of bring it back, dial it back a little bit and, and find teams that we both hate uh, <laughs> on both sides of the ball. So, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I think, uh, it's, it's interesting because these are the best teams from the past decade, really. And, mm-hmm. and you come into this game in 2017 and, and um, you know, Clemson's still trying to prove themselves. So it was kind of fun to go back and watch and see a team where, where Dabo Swinney's being asked before the game, do you think you can hang with Bama, which mm-hmm. isn't a question that they would ask anymore. No, I mean, this was really the, hey, welcome to the big boys club, Clemson. This was your official indoctrination like, I mean, after this game, I know Dabo likes to do little old Clemson and, you know, get the, what do they call it, the Roy bus, the rest of us bus kept doing that last year. That That's just an act now. You can't talk about that anymore. This was Clemson's official entry into the club. Uh, the funny thing is, is that, uh, you know, with, with he's just as smarmy as he is now even before he won the championship. So, you know, it, it's interesting. These – you know, college football is always sort of defined by the coaches. And I'm not sure you could find two coaches that I look at and just go, ugh, any, any more than Swinney and Saban. I, I like Swinney. I'm a Swinney guy. I like him. He's all right. Like, I mean, I, I, I roll my eyes when he says a few things. And certainly when he doesn't stick to football, sometimes you get a little bit like, all right, Dabo. Like, but, like, he, he uh, as a coach, I love his energy on the sideline. He's a lot of fun to watch. And his teams are always – they, they go for it in the right situations. He, he just he, – he, he's aggressive. He pushes it. I like the way he plays. I like the way he coaches. Well, we're gonna t- I've watched plenty of Alabama games where I'm just like, all right, this, this needs to end. Well, we're, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But, you know, we, more about this podcast. We've been thinking about doing this during the offseason. But since the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have canceled, it took on a little bit more urgency. We're going to release new episodes on Saturday mornings on Patreon. So the fans are going to have something to listen to on College Football Saturdays in preparation for the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 games later in the day, which may mean we end up focusing on the Big Ten <laughs> just so that they have something to actually do while they're, uh, while they're arguing about whether they should play in October november or february um but to access the podcast right away support us on patreon that'll give you instant access on saturdays the link is in the show notes or you can follow the link on readandreaction.com um 
you know, episodes are going to be released to the general public the next week. So certainly, um, you know, follow us on our YouTube channel, 2020 hindsight, or subscribe on iTunes to get notified of new episodes. Please rate and review the show when you do. Certainly if you've got feedback, we'd love to hear that as well. So thanks everybody for listening and we're going to get to the game now. So we always started off with sort of the memory serves segment where we talk about, you know, what we had remembered, what we hadn't remembered, the things that are sort of, uh, you know, it's interesting how your memory sort of sort of tricks you a little bit here. We were talking about that even before we came on, sort of all of the different things that were going on in Alabama at the time. Yeah, I mean, Bama's fresh off a 2016 national title where they beat Clemson, Clemson, Alabama, as is known as Clemson, Alabama, won now. But it, Clemson really played with them. It kind of surprised the nation, 45-40 in that 2016 title game. Uh, I also – Again, Clemson-Alabama, the years kind of mesh together in your head because it just keeps happening. But this was the year that Clemson lost to Pitt in mid-November. And, Will, I want to know who the Pitt quarterback was. I have zero idea who the Pitt quarterback was. A fellow by the name of Nathan Peterman. <laughs> NFL crew. The NFL crowd should know that. That's, well, that's... I, should, I should know that because he's the dude who, for, for Tennessee, like threw three interceptions in the first like four plays against Florida in his first start, didn't he? He went, he went in, he went into Clemson, knocked off the Tigers. Oh man. And somehow they still wound up playing Alabama for the championship. But you know, the stuff I remembered for, or that I didn't remember from this game was all the turnover, right? You've got Hertz, mm-hmm. Jalen Hertz is a true freshman coming in at quarterback for Jake Coker, who had helped win the title in 2016, but you've got Lane Kiffin leaving between the first playoff game and then the second playoff game um, to go to, to go to FAU. You've got Bo Scarborough in for Derrick Henry, who had won the Heisman the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, you had O.J. Howard. I had forgotten what a big game he'd had in 2016. He had five catches for 208 yards and two touchdowns the previous year. And then the other thing that you forget is that Kirby Smart had also left the team to go to Georgia before the championship game the year before. And so, you know, we're going to start talking about some of the things that, uh, that Alabama decided to and to not do late in the game in this one. And a lot of that, you know, is tied to, I think, sort of, you know, would they have done things differently if they'd have had Kiffin or if they'd have had Smart? I, absolutely. The answer is absolutely, but we'll get to that. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, Deshaun Watson had thrown for 400-plus yards the previous year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not as though he wasn't able to take on the Alabama defense. And and the the Clemson game plan here was pretty interesting. But So I do want to talk, you know, we, we talk about sort of the wistful moments and the things that we um, enjoyed or had forgotten. I think my favorite part of this entire rewatch was they had Steve Spurrier and Peyton Manning inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame together and out on the field for the coin toss. Ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to midfield for the National Championship Game coin toss with inductees of the 2017 National Football Foundation College Football Hall of Fame. Representing the University of Tennessee, Peyton Manning... And representing Duke, Florida, and South Carolina, Coach Steve Spurrier. Tonight's referee, Mike DeFee, honorary captains for Clemson, Taj I'm sure, and, I'm sure Peyton Manning loved that. Well, they're sitting there and they're sort of jawing back and forth. And you can tell Manning's just like, I hate you. I hate <laughs> you. And I'm sitting there thinking, did Spurrier ask him whether the national championship environment was more intense than the Citrus Bowl environment? That, that was all I could think of while they were st- standing next to each other. You can't spell citrus without UT. 
<laughs> I love Steve Spurrier. It doesn't Mullet. matter. You know, I mean, obviously we're both Florida homers, but man, it, it's so much fun to have people sort of throwing daggers and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, the interesting, the other thing that I sort of missed is I, I kind of miss Alabama having to rely on defense as opposed to the more recent two years and, and mm-hmm. even the later Jalen Hurts years where the offenses have really been elite. It, it was sort of fun to, to go back and look at a team that, you know, I could envision Florida actually being able to compete with. Well, even this was the year they started opening up the offense a little bit in Alabama after Nick Saban had been basically crusading against the spread offense, the up-tempo. They, they brought Lane Kiffin in, and, and they'd been running that with Jalen Hurts, and, and he had been putting up some pretty decent numbers. But he was a little limited. But I want to go back to that coin toss real quick because I know the folks at home, they're waiting for my charts. And I got one right now, Derrick Henry – Mark Ingram coin toss from the year before. Derrick Henry was an honorary captain at the game along with Taj Boyd. And it just I, – I never forget this picture. It's just I absolutely love it. Even Mark Ingram's face in the picture just looks like, are you really taking a picture of this right now? Ingram looks like an Oompa Loompa in that picture. He's just, just, he's just like four feet tall tough compared to, to Derrick Henry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ingram's a, Ingram's a heck of a back. But, I mean, you know, we, we saw what Derrick Henry could do with the Titans last year. And, you know, Bo Scarborough, they had said in the game, the announcers had said that Scarborough was something like 235 pounds, and Mm. he was still like 25 or 30 pounds lighter than Henry was. So Alabama, even though Scarborough was a big dude, I think Alabama – or I think Clemson was sort of like, eh, this isn't so bad. We had it worse last year. Yeah, it's probably probably the case. Oh, man. So the storylines come into the game, Alabama going for its fifth title in eight years. Mm. That's crazy. Just just crazy. Clemson going for its first title in 35 years. So 1981 was the last time they had won, the year after Georgia's last title. So the Bulldogs still haven't been able to get that monkey off of their back, but Clemson has. Got the second straight matchup, um, you know, and, and really sort of the, the second of four, right, for these two. They, had, they played the next year, um, but in the semifinal, and, yep, and sure. Bama sort of blitzed them and then obviously played the year after that with, uh, with Tyler – or Lawrence – yeah. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. Um, t- taking them, taking out Alabama in a pretty big way. Um, but the question here, the real storyline coming into the game was could Clemson hang with the SEC? I mean, the SEC had won however many straight national championships at this point. And, and uh, you know, I, I know Auburn had, had lost one recently, but basically, you know, the SEC had just been dominant both in terms of winning national championships, winning playoff games, and even um, bringing guys to the NFL, that sort of stuff. So, you know, the idea of whether a team from the ACC could hang with the SEC was something that was really an open question. But we're still in the period of, like, just absolute Bama dominance where now we're seeing LSU get back. We saw Auburn, LSU, and Florida at the end of the last decade kind of all take turns with Alabama. Now it's just – it's we're in a period right now in this 2017 title game where it's been just Bama pretty much carrying the flag for the SEC. 26-game win streak. Last loss they suffered September 25th uh, or September 2015 at home against Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss, which just seems like an eternity ago. <laughs> well, I mean, so if we, if we get to the actual game in the first quarter, one of the things that I noticed that you wouldn't have noticed when you were watching the game at the time, mm-hmm. but now you go back and look and three guys up front for Clemson, they had Clellan Farrell, Christian Wilkins, and Dexter Lawrence, all in their defensive line, all first-round NFL draft picks. They also had a couple other guys who wound up drafted into the NFL on that defensive line. So when you think about how Clemson built this team, they built it up front on the defensive line, 
and then they got an elite quarterback on the other side. And that's really the story about how Clemson, you know, with less talent than Alabama, I think overall was able to hang with the tide. It's, it's really on both sides of the ball. It's like every time they're playing, like it's NFL name after NFL name. I mean, even on, on the Alabama offensive side, that first series is like, oh, that guy was drafted pretty high. That guy was drafted pretty high. You just keep going down the line, like every single play. Oh, Calvin Ridley? Oh, okay. You're just like, you just keep throwing name after name out. Unbelievable the amount of NFL talent on the field in this game. Well, and you look at it and you're like, oh, that guy, that guy, that guy was drafted. He's had, he's had a great NFL career. Why wasn't he that great at Alabama? It's like, oh, because he only right. played for a year. Oh, man. So obviously a lot of talent on there. You know, the interesting thing I thought early on, well, there were two things I thought interesting early on. One is that it seemed like Alabama's strategy was to come out and throw the ball. And I thought that was an interesting strategy considering that they're Alabama and that uh, Jalen Hurts, the true freshman, is starting in the national championship game. The other thing was on Clemson's first drive, they did a lot of sort of four to six yard sort of digs and hitches and things like that. Had a lot of third and shorts. They got stopped fourth and one at the Bama 41 and they went for it. They didn't get it. It was a pitch to the outside. I really don't like the play call, but I love the coaching decision early on where Swinney got deep into Bama or, you know, relatively deep into Bama territory and said, screw it. Fourth and one, I'm going for it. They like that pitch play. They ran that a couple times and later on with more success where Watson would fake the pitch out of the shotgun and take it up the middle. But uh, yeah, that one, uh, that fourth down got absolutely blown up, but I'm with you. I like the decision stay aggressive, but they definitely paid for it on the next, on the opening play of the next possession. Well, I mean, so this again is one of the, the main offense for Alabama in this entire game was sending Jalen Hurts back to pass, having him scramble Mm -hmm. and then gaining 30 yards and then handing it to Scarborough before Clemson had the opportunity to catch their breath. And, you know, before you knew it, it was seven, nothing Bama after Scarborough just basically blitzed through the Clemson defense to, to put Bama up early here by Bama. They're going fast. And first and 15. Scarborough gets the edge. Bo Scarborough cuts it back still rumbling all the way to the end zone. Touchdown Bama. I really thought Bo Scarborough was so good in this game. I remember how dominant he was in general. I just Bama pumps out so many good running backs you almost forget like three years ago. Like, but Scarborough, he's one name I thought was going to be really much better in the NFL than he's been so far. Hasn't made much of an impact at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, you know, the interesting thing is he's an interesting dude because he's kind of a tweener where he's not as big as Derrick Henry, mm. but he's not as fast as the guys like Damian Harris or 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 Josh Jacobs. And so, you know, those guys, Harris and Jacobs, have at least gotten to the NFL. Harris recently got hurt with the Patriots, but those guys have gotten some run in the NFL. And Scarborough, I'm just not sure he's fast enough in the NFL for as big as he is. And maybe but certainly he was fast enough in this game, at least at least when he was in the game. So, oh. you know, Bama's up seven nothing, and you're already sort of going. <laughs> like, yeah. like it, it looked like Clemson got physically dominated on the defensive side of the ball in that drive. Yeah, and, and really Scarborough ran through a couple ta- tackles on the way to the end zone, I believe, on, on that run too. But he, uh, the the Bama just came out. They looked like they were moving the ball, and really for much of the first quarter, Clemson was pinned back deep too. So Bama kept getting good field position in general. So the Bama offense was really in good shape most of the first half, but I I think this is going to be kind of the pattern of the first half we're going to see emerge. Bama really controlled it. They really controlled it out of the gate. Clemson needed to kind of take their first couple punches before they caught their breath. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not even that – it's interesting because the Bama offense couldn't really move the ball that that well against against Clemson, but Clemson's offense was so inept, at mm-hmm. least to start the game, that it just didn't feel like Bama was ever in danger, which is one of those interesting things. It's, it's almost – you know, did they not put their, their foot on their throat because they felt like they were in control? I, I, felt, I felt like it was like they were doing just enough to move the ball – to put them in field position to, to win the field position battle. They would get either toward midfield. They converted on the one touchdown of Scarborough in the first quarter, but they would kind of get toward midfield and then they'd have to punt and their punter, which by the way, can we talk about JK Scott's punting form? I mean, that guy, it, is that the best follow through on a, a punter you've ever seen in your life? Well, he ought to have a great follow through because it takes him 48 seconds to get the ball out. <laughs> like it, the entire Slow game, you're just developing. like, oh my goodness, oh, they're going to get him. So, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and this actually led to a really key part of the, a really key part of that first quarter. Clemson partially blocks a punt. They finally mm-hmm. get the ball in good field position, but then have a bad snap and Bam, that Watson can't corral and Bama recovers the ball at the Clemson 35 and you're sitting there going, okay, they're down seven, nothing. They just turned the ball over. They look rattled. Alabama is just about to take advantage of this and drive this one in and false start. Again, I wonder, I wonder how much of this, I, I think these guys, this is Alabama. They played a full season at this point. So I don't want to put too much on the Lane Kiffin thing, but you just have to point out they had an illegal shift on their first drive. They have another offensive penalty here, which we know those five-yard penalties are, are tough, especially when, you know, Jalen Hurts, he's not an elite passer. So that, that, that's tough. So Bama ends up going three and out, but the punter ends up punt, put, pinning them down on the one-yard line. Yeah, I mean, so pinned at the one. But, again, when you get a turnover in enemy territory at the yes. 35, you got to take a shot. And they didn't take a shot, a false start, a tackle for loss on a running play, and then a little screen pass and, and basically never had an opportunity to even get back into field goal range, let alone put the ball in. I mean, if they put the ball in there and they're up 14, nothing going in the second quarter, Clemson has to come out of the game plan that they had, that they had. And that's one of the things I think we'll, we'll end up talking about a little bit is the Clemson game plan was a four-quarter game plan and had to be because they only had 46 total yards in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a rough start for Clemson, but that defense was doing just enough to keep them in. We can blame it on the Alabama offense a little bit, but I think the Clemson defense is coming up with plays in the right moment too. Yeah, so you mentioned we moved to the second quarter at seven nothing Alabama. You know Watson started the game six of nine for twenty eight yards, and again I think this is sort of indicative of Clemson's game plan: lots of short five to seven yard throws, giving them third and short and an ability to convert. They were able to move the ball well enough, even though they got pinned at the one. They moved the ball well enough to move um, to move back to the twenty nine, and then. You know, they had to punt back to Alabama, but at the same time, they'd sort of proven they were going to be aggressive, even at their own goal line, which, again, I think is sort of indicative of the way this game went is um, Clemson was not afraid to take chances. I think they knew they needed to take chances and, and were willing to do that. Yeah, and, and this was a big drive. I had this marked down as a big drive, too, because it's the first time all game the offense even showed a remote sign of life. And even though they didn't convert on the first down, they end up having to punt. They get good enough field position where they kind of dig themselves out of the hole put Bama back on their own 26 yard line. Yeah. But even so Bama then runs a wide receiver reverse, 
a couple of bubble screens, and then a 37-yard run for Scarborough, that sort of outside off-tackle run that, that, you know, and just sliced through the Clemson defense like Swiss cheese. It's 14-0, 10-42 left in the second, 155 yards to 66 yards in favor of Alabama. I mean, this one felt over at this point and would have been over had they done the same, had they taken care of business after the turnover in the first quarter. It, it was a great run by Scarborough, too. This one, he went through one of Clemson's leaders, Ben Bulware, on the tackle en route to the end zone. I mean, just just went through. It was kind of an arm tackle because it was coming from the side, but still, Scarborough, he made that look easy. He made a tough run look pretty easy, going down 37 yards down the sideline for this touchdown. It is interesting, though. The fact that Clemson was now down two touchdowns, I do think changed their – strategy on defense a little bit so you know you what and I think they sort of learned some things even though they were down even though they'd given up the two big runs to Scarborough you know on the next you know the next drive Clemson gets the ball back they're stopped one yard short of a first down and half the punt but on third down they actually flashed a stat that Clemson had had an average of 3.7 yards to go on third down and Bama had been at 10.4 and so even though Bama had scored those two touchdowns, I, I think that stat in particular sort of tells the story is Clemson realized that Jalen Hurts was not going to be able to kill them, that it was a bunch of screen passes, mm-hmm. and that was really all they had in their portfolio for him. A few things where he made some bad throws. The reads were okay, but the throws were bad. And they just didn't have any fear of, of Hurts at all, even being down 14 nothing. Yeah, I think there was a drive in the second quarter where I think Herb Street even said, like, that's the longest story he's made all night. And it was like a, it was like a uh, eight or nine yard throw or something like that. It, 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 he, they were really kind of going out. It was a side to side game with a, a power running game up the middle for the most part from what we saw early on from Bama. Well, and it's interesting because the next drive for Clemson, it was, it starts out with a 40 yard bubble screen to Deion Kane. What did I tell you all night long? No let up on number four. That's been the successful recipe so far, Chris. Tom, thank you. Allen out at the moment as Watson flips it high. Deion Kane's free. Kane with great speed. To midfield. And the Tampa native makes Clemson's first big play of the night down inside the tied 40. But then they hit Leggett down the middle where they split the safeties. And this, I think, is sort of indicative of – so Jordan Leggett, the tight end for Clemson, this was sort of indicative of maybe some things that informed some stuff later. This was the first time that Alabama had really laid back in a zone, and they got absolutely drilled for laying back in a zone. Watson runs for a touchdown on a quarterback lead the next play. It's 14-7, to and the only thing I could think as I was watching the game was, that was fast you finally felt like they're getting in that rhythm and it, it was kind of fed off of that. That's why that, that drive from the one yard line to like the 20, 25 yard, the 25 yard drive they had on the possession before was huge. Cause he finally felt like, Oh, we got some confidence now, but really that screenplay to Deion Kane, where it's like, he it was a screen to the right and he kind of crossed the whole field as he went and got it into uh, Bama territory. It's about a 40 yard run really kind of just set the tempo for that drive, gave him some rhythm. And maybe, maybe Bama was kind of on its heels a little bit after that, too. Yeah, I mean, they sort of went back and forth a little bit after that. And then Bama got the ball back with about two minutes left near midfield. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things that sort of drives me crazy. So you're at midfield. You were going to talk about this play. Three straight runs. And Clemson gets the ball back with a minute 12 left back near their own end zone. Now, granted, Clemson had called some timeouts to get it back with a minute 12. But 
you're at the 50, you're up by a touchdown. You don't take any sort of shots. You don't do anything. It's just three straight runs. That kind of conservatism is, is really, I think the, um, they had not been conservative in terms of throwing the ball with Hertz the entire game. And then you get to this position in the second quarter where you might have an opportunity to put a dagger in and they just decided, now nah, we're not going to try. I think the second half you were yelling in your Bama voice, run the bowel more often than not. So I don't want to criticize them for running too much because I'm going to do the opposite. I'm about to do the opposite in the second half, but on this possession in particular, I'm okay with the runs on first second down. Third and six, though, you hand it off on third and six. And that's where you have to stop. Again, just want to poke holes in the in the not trying to overdo the Lane Kiffin thing, but is Lane Kiffin run the ball in third and six? No. I don't think so. <laughs> Unless Saban's so. telling him to, and even then he probably just turns off his headset and pretends <laughs> like he doesn't hear him, which is part of the reason why those guys probably didn't get along real well. But, I mean, it, it was such a contrast, right? Because Dabo's calling timeouts. They get the ball back 112 near their own end zone. Watson hits Renfro on a third and long from his own end zone. He then almost throws a pick. Clemson has a false start. They're still chucking the ball. It's like they didn't get where they needed to get. They weren't able to score anything. But, again, I think this sort of shows – Clemson and Dabo's mentality so you're sitting there 14-7 at the half but the more aggressive team is Clemson even though it feels pretty significantly like the better team is is Alabama pretty significantly is is the right way to put that I mean they absolutely you felt like they were they were very much in control in this game and they just they didn't have the points to show it well I I mean this is sort of why I I really do like stats because my halftime thoughts when I wrote down here, lots of possessions. There were eight possessions for Clemson. It was just a lot of back and forth, right? Mainly because Alabama, other than their two scoring drives, was almost always three and out. Then Clemson actually outgained Alabama 203 to 183. So remember early on, it was 155 yards to 66 yards with 1042 left in the second. And now you're at 203, 183 coming into the half. So Clemson basically dominated from 10 minutes, 10 minutes on. Hertz only has 40 passing yards. It's pretty clear that Alabama doesn't trust him. Sark's still throwing a lot. They don't trust him to throw beyond the line of scrimmage, but Sark is throwing on first down a lot. Then he has to follow up with the run, and so there's lots of third and longs, and they were two of eight on third down. We call that the Nussmeyer around Gainesville because that was always the thing, you know, play action pass and and throw it out of bounds and then have to run on second to make sure we're, we're not behind the chains, and then it always ended up being third and nine. But all that said, I expected Alabama to pull away in the second half when I was watching this live. Like, you know, you look at the stats and you go, huh, Clemson's actually in this one. But the way the half felt, you're like, oh, Alabama's going to win this by 50. Yeah, it, it didn't feel close. I mean, but Clemson's defense, they, they really get a lot of credit for keeping them in it. They, may, they, may, they give up a few first downs and stop them type of thing. So they, it was, they were letting them move a little bit, but they just kept them. I think most of the first half, Clemson was just pinned deep in their own territory. And that's where they started. Those last couple drives really kind of kind of started clicking a little bit. But I I had the same note about Sarkeesian not asking Hurts to throw the ball downfield much. And really the best thing going for the Bama offense is Bo Scarborough. Just keep feeding Bo in that second half. And, you know, Watson, Watson was mostly held under wraps. I know he had some nice st- stats but like at, toward the end, but I think that was mostly a product of those two drives. And you saw a lot of uh, Wayne Gallman. On, on the Clemson side too on offense. Yeah, well, that was that almost cost him the game there to start out the third quarter because 
Alabama forces a fumble on the opening drive. Um, Ryan Anderson, the defensive end for the Tide, just pulls the ball right out of Gallman's hands yeah. and then recovers it, starts running towards the end zone. I think it was Renfro sort of got yes. him, by the, got him by, the, by the shoe, pulls him down at the 15. So the Tide have the ball at the 15. And, and what happens? False start. False start. <laughs> Left tackle Cam Robinson, false start. Again, you've mentioned already Kiffin being gone, Sarkeesian in. They end up moments, little key moments like that. Well, and they end up selling for a field goal. So they get three points, but they never had a shot at a first down. They took a shot in the end zone where it was a horrible overthrow. And then, and then you're sitting there third and 15 and, and basically Clemson gave him nine or 10 yards on the throw, but it was never in doubt that they were like, it wasn't a route to get the first down. It was a route to make sure the field goal was successful. So, you know, to go from 14 to seven ahead, you know, completely turning the tables at the 15 looking like you're about to put them away to it just being 17 to seven again if you're a Clemson fan I think you're sort of um, I think you're sort of breathing a sigh of relief when it's 17 to seven that's one of those where you're just like I can't believe they didn't I can't believe they let us off the hook again big 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 play by Renfro too making that tackle he kind of comes out of nowhere Anderson stripped it. he starts running and all of a sudden Renfro comes and takes takes his legs out from almost like from under, Anderson didn't even see him coming, so it's kind of funny because it looked like Renfro hit him pretty good for such a small guy hitting a big guy because his legs kind of went up flying when he got hit. But Renfro, man, huge play. I, like we talked about the Miami-Ohio State Fiesta Bowl last week. I would almost put this on the level of Maurice Corrette stripping Sean Taylor on that interception out of the end zone. I mean, this this is a, a, such a key play. Bama scores his touchdown, goes up 21-7. We're looking at a different game. Yeah, well, and, you know, this is also why I think this might be considered an illegitimate championship for Clemson, just because Hunter Renfro is in his ninth year of eligibility when we were when they, they were playing this game. So, you know, of all the guys who feels like he's been around forever, I mean, Renfro, can he come back for the COVID year? Can we, can we have him do that? The eligibility doesn't count this year. <laughs> so, I mean, again, it's interesting because even in the third quarter, even down 17 to seven, and this is part of why that Renfro play was so important, even down 17 to seven, Clemson continues to sort of nickel and dime their way down, and, down the field. They get to a point where, um, you know, they're fourth and one and there's a pooch punt. This is the first time I thought Dabo didn't go, with, go for it when he should have. Um, you know, but it works out because coming the other direction, Bama shakes a punt. Your, your favorite kicker, J.K. Scott. Um, you know, I, I, this is a big what if because that guy won. Didn't he win the tro- Didn't he win all the trophies and all the awards for being the best kicker in the country? And, and you're there, and you're like yeah, the guy yeah. never kicks. He plays for Alabama. How do you, how do you win? The, how do you win the? It's because of that form. You just have to see it a couple times. Well, I mean, the That's form. Just, yeah. The form worked great when he kicked it out of bounds at the forty. It was on forty, <laughs> which again. You know, I, I mentioned earlier hitting uh, hitting Leggett over the middle when when Alabama played zone. Here, Renfro he hits him over the middle. They had deep safeties. It, it was really an interesting play because it, it looked like a really good read by Watson. One of the safeties came up after the snap, so they really weren't in a deep zone. But that safety wound up picking off the guy, the DB who was in man coverage, and all of a sudden Renfro's running free. A really nice throw from Watson, and and all of a sudden it's seventeen fourteen. Tigers need six on third down. Safeties are split. Try to hit the middle of the field. Yep, Watson sees that. Renfro's got it. Cuts back and scores. Clemson coming back. 
Yeah, just a little route over the middle. He breaks one tackle, and he darts to the end zone straight through. You just felt like he was going to get caught the whole time. Oh, oh, he's breaking. Okay. And then all of a sudden, he's there. But I, I did on this drive, I made a note. Watson ran up the middle at one point. He took a ball out of the shotgun. He ran straight up the middle. And I remember I was a bit nervous watching it. And you look back now, and I know everybody looks at the draft now and goes, how do they pass on Watson? You know, Bears and Trubisky get a ton of, get a ton of uh, crap for that that pick and everything, and obviously they should. But watching this, I kind of remember what the knocks on him were going into the draft where you just look at him. He doesn't look – he looks like he's a guy who's going to get – the way he plays, he's going to get injured inevitably. That's I mean, kind of the way he looks. I mean, he's certainly no Mitchell Trubisky, that's for sure. He, he's not. He's not. <laughs> and I think, I think we all can agree on that. Well, again, no, but I, I, I'm saying, like, I, I kind of remember the concerns around him watching that game because I, I almost, like, held my breath when he ran up the middle. I was like, oh, careful, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. I, I, I think this is also part of why it's important to, to follow the statistics rather than just necessarily looking at the eye test because Deshaun Watson, he was not Taj Boyd. Right. He was a much, much better passer than Taj Boyd was. Taj Boyd was a very good passer, but you know, from the standpoint of, you know, average 10.7 yard. So Watson averaged 10.7 yards per attempt his freshman year, 8.4 in 2015 and 7.9 in 2016. So certainly sort of regressing in the passing game, but part of that was just because he had so many more attempts, but you know, running was a big part of his game. He ran for 1100 yards his sophomore year, and then 629 the year they win the title. So a little bit more careful that third year. But, um, you know, you're right. I, I think one of the – it's not – he's not somebody who absolutely wows you with his arm strength. But one of the things I would say is one of the most impressive throws he threw was when he hit Renfro right at the end of the first half out of his own end zone. And he just – he was willing to throw that ball up there. And, and the mm-hmm. willingness and the anticipation is something that I think you see on tape and go, okay, that'll probably translate. Um, and it certainly has. Yeah, absolutely. But that's why – I mean, and I'm, I'm one who believes in Watson. I think he deserves that contract he just got from Houston. Absolutely love his game in the NFL. But you kind of watch it. You, oh, yeah, that's what that's, – that's why people have, were down, like a little bit worried about him. That's why. Well, speaking of high NFL draft picks, Jalen Hurts at this point, 8 of 20 for 49 yards, and he's 7 7 of 11 for 40 yards to his left. So he's 1 of 9 for anything not going to the left side of the defense, and that was a little bubble screen to the right-hand side. Roll Tide. Man, he finally, finally makes an excellent throw over the middle on third and long. Again, third and long because they threw a bubble screen and then they ran it on second down. And there was an excellent throw over the middle on third and long, but the tight end drops it. And, and it's interesting. Clemson, I mentioned this earlier, but they had zero fear of hurts. Eight men in the box consistently trying to stop the running game. And, you know, having the tight end drop it was just a killer because it would have been right around midfield, would have given the defense an opportunity to rest. You can criticize hurts for the way that he played in this game. But at the same time, like when you got a true freshman quarterback who's struggling, you got to catch the ball. You got, you got to. And that, that throw, I know which throw you're talking about. The tight, it's to the tight end. Perfect throw. It wasn't Howard. It was their second tight end. It was their second tight end. Drop, drops a ball that hit, hit him right in the chest, basically. So it's like you got, you got to take care of that a little bit. I, I thought Sarkeesian maybe was getting into a little bit more pass-happy stuff. Like kind of, They felt a little pass-happy on that drive to me where it could have stayed settled and run the ball a little bit. But Scarborough also dropped a screen on the on the play before that too. So it's like a couple drop balls on that. So you can't you can't beat him up too much for the play call in there. 
Yeah, well, and, and you know, here's the other thing, right, is Scarborough gets injured on the next drive. Um, and if Scarborough doesn't get injured, this game is also probably very, very different, right? I, I think that obviously – Are we going to skip – are we going to skip when Deshaun Watson, like, lunged for the first down and he did a full 360 helicopter like John Elway? That was one of the, uh, one of my favorite – I watched that play like three times, I think. I mean, if it had anything to do with the outcome of the game, I would be happy Not to much. address it. Not but, much. I just remember the John Elway when I was a kid against the Packers. It, Deshaun Watson almost made it happen. And then Clemson punted. And then Clemson punted. Right. Well, because didn't he come up a yard short on that and they wound yes. up having a punt? Yes. Yeah, well, and, and it's funny. It a hell of an effort, though. Again, up until this point, that was the story of the night that – Clemson had had gotten to fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three a ton, mm-hmm. but they hadn't really been able to push it across. And one of the things you started to see towards the end of this third quarter was those six to eight yarders started turning into 10 to 12 yarders. Um, and, and that is, that's kind of where the def- that's where this started to turn a little bit, but we'll get there in a second. So Scarborough gets injured on the next drive for Alabama after your helicopter yep. play. Um, yeah. I remembered this happening earlier. So my recollection was Bama was rolling way ahead when Scarborough went out and then Clemson immediately came storming back, but that wasn't the case. Cause it was 17 to 14 when he went out and, and Alabama had the ball obviously, but still, you know, it wasn't as though Scarborough went out and immediately the Alabama offense went silent. The Alabama offense was just silent basically from the second Scarborough run on. That's a, I, I, I actually, it's funny you say that because I remember it being in the first half too after – I do remember a couple TD runs. I remember thinking like, man, Scarborough – losing Scarborough is a big deal. I remember thinking that. But, man, if you look at that injury too – Christian Wilkins uh, really rolled up on his knee and his ankle pretty good. So I was like, I mean, the replay was pretty clear on that. So I was like, you can't, couldn't blame Scarborough for going out for that one. Oh, no. I mean, he's a tough dude, but he, he'd been yeah. injured a lot that year or had been yep. injured a lot in his career at Alabama too. And, and, you know, just relatively injury prone, but you know, even with that, it was interesting because this was the first time I thought Sark finally took advantage of what Clemson was doing. So, either the next play or the play after basically hurts hits OJ Howard for a 68 yard touchdown. They faked the screen to the left and three Clemson guys came up for it. Oh, Cause that yeah. was the only play that hurts had been able to complete all day. And then hurts hit Howard deep behind it. Zero air under the ball. Like he had to make a perfect throw, not because he had to make a perfect throw. He's wide open, but yeah. just because of the way he threw it, he had to make a perfect throw all of a sudden 24 to 14 Alabama hurts has just hit a deep shot. Um, it really felt like a dagger. Scarborough walks off. Damian Harris takes his place to the left of the quarterback. And they fake it to him. Hurts. Goes downfield. O.J. Howard is wide open. And once again, the tight end will victimize the Tigers with a huge play. Shades of last year. It it was a a pretty play, too. I mean, the play design was great. You had Ridley on the outside, O.J. Howard on the inside. He comes over for the screen. Three Clemson players go down as Howard goes out looking like he's going to block and then just takes off down the sideline on what's essentially a wheel route. And it's just – I think the closest defender realized as Howard was running by is is about five yards behind Howard, just free free down the sideline. And I believe he had had a couple, like, pretty open touchdown – catches in that 2016 title game if I'm not mistaken well absolutely that was the thing that sort of you figured that they would have emphasized Howard 
um, on the defensive side of the ball yeah. at Clemson because, you know, he had 208 yards <laughs> receiving but, the year before. In but, the, you know, in, in this case, it was just a different quarterback. In their defense, uh, the 60-yard – Chris Fowler dropped this one when they came back for cur- commercial break. The 68-yard touchdown pass exceeded Hertz's passing total on the night. <laughs> so that's – in Clemson's defense, that, that's, that's a good thing to step up on. You probably want to step up on those screens. It was a rough night for Jalen Hurts. So Clemson, you know, to Clemson's credit, again, you're down 24 to 14 against a team that's a juggernaut like Bama, won, what, four of the last seven national mm-hmm. titles. And this is where you really started to notice those six to eight yard digs and comebacks that had been there all night. They started turning into 10 and 12. They started getting the corner. They started being able to break a tackle and get the first down rather than having it, you know, second and three or third and three and then not being able to convert. And part of that was they had 72 plays through three quarters. And a lot of that goes back to the Clemson game plan of, you know, getting the third and short, being able to convert, take a little bit more time off the clock, get to third and short, and then having to punt, which was basically the whole first half, is they never really turned it into points that often. But they were able to turn it into just enough points to stay close. And then the Alabama defense started to get a little bit tired. Yeah, and I think you started seeing it on this drive, too. They open up uh, with a deep shot to Mike Williams. They get a defensive pass interference. But then Deion Kane, first down on a screen. Deion Kane, little back shoulder catch. They start moving the ball. This was by far their best-looking drive of the night coming up here. And they start kind of completing those six those, – you're right, those six to eight yards are kind of turning into first downs. And, I mean, this was really a steady drive coming up. Well, and this is one of those things where we can we can pick apart Sark's play calling, and and we will, and we can look at Kiffin being gone, and and certainly that's something that you look at and say, hey, would things have been different? But you know, Alabama had a twenty-four to fourteen lead going into the fourth quarter, and so that's as much on Saban being the defensive coordinator of the team and Jeremy Pruitt, who was the defensive coordinator took over for, for Kirby smart Mm -hmm. as it is on the Alabama offense. Sure. The offense isn't moving the ball very much, but you know, at this point, this was a heck of a response by Clemson to open up the fourth, basically finish up the drive that ended at the end of the third quarter with a touchdown pulls 24 to 21. It was a really nice response after the dagger to Howard, especially considering last year when Howard sort of delivered the dagger that won that game too. And the interesting thing is, is that they ran a rub play to get the touchdown. Oh, rub play. And everybody remembers the rub play to end the game that we're going to talk about. Yes. But this one was way more blatant and way more illegal yes. than, than, than the one that ends the game. Tracking toward that, you're right, against the defense, not as deep. Watson for the end zone. Williams, touchdown. I, I had this like starred, highlighted, and underlined to talk about this this touchdown pass. So it's first and goal. Uh, they had first and goal. They ran it on first and goal. It sets up uh, second and goal from the four yard line. You had Mike Williams lined up in the slot to the right. Jordan Leggett was lined up to the outside. Leggett takes his man and literally just drives to the inside as Williams goes up, goes under, and is wide open because Leggett takes out his man, by the way, Minka Fitzpatrick, first-round traffic, and runs him into Marlon Humphrey, Williams' man, another damn good defensive back out of Alabama. And they basically both collide. William uh, Watson just lost the ball up for an easy touchdown to Williams. 
it was a clear pick play. It wasn't called. I mean, even even Herb Street started the replay by saying, "Watch Jordan Leggett, Chris, on a pick or a screen, a screen." <laughs> and coming back, Fowler joked like, "It's a pick or a rub, depending on if you're the defensive or offensive guy, right?" But Saban's on the sideline, full on, like, "Where's my flag? Where's my flag?" So I thought it was a pretty clear pick play. Oh man, it wasn't ever like Alabama fans are. You know, they've had too much success to complain too much. But no one feels bad. But if anybody – if you're going to complain about anything in this game, that's the one I'd complain about is that should have been 15 yards, yeah. should have driven them back. And, again, you go back to would they have done things differently on defense? But clearly they wouldn't because they didn't learn from the play. Because one of the things – they got burned a couple of times on zone defenses with two deep safeties. But beyond that, they were bringing pressure all night. And they were in man-to-man – all night and they were they were daring Clemson to beat them and like I said Clemson was beating them for four yards to start the game but by the end of the game they were able to hit a couple of deep shots to Williams they were able to you know turn those four yard gains into eight yard gains you know it it, it is interesting how your memory fails you though like I remember Clemson going up and down the field with ease and that wasn't remotely the case these were drives where they earned it because you know Watson for the game only averaged seven and a half yards per attempt even though he had 420 yards Clemson only ran for 91 yards and 43 of that was Watson. So, you know, from the standpoint of um, the Bama defense obviously didn't hold up at the end, but at the same time, like it was hard, hard, hard sledding for Watson. Well, I I think the thing that you said earlier too, this was a hell of a response to that OJ Howard touchdown. I mean, this drive couldn't have been any better timed. I mean, I, th- I honestly think this might have been the best drive of the night. I know the last drive is going to overshadow it. But this drive right here is really critical to get Alabama. Just every time Bama feels like they're pulling away, Clemson just kind of comes back in, kind of comes back in. And the pick play, the, the thing that's especially interesting with the pick play too is is uh, Jordan Le- Leggett actually just kind of stood up after. He was kind of like, hey. <laughs> It was the basketball player who fouls somebody and then holds right. up his hands, like to tell the referee he didn't do it. If, if I'm a ref and I see someone do this, that's odd. I don't even, I didn't even see what you did. I just saw you doing this. So it's, you, you did something. Uh, I mean, look, we, we talked about pass interference last week with, uh, with Ohio state and Miami. If you're going to call that didn't one, we? you got to call this one. Did we? Well, you're not <laughs> supposed to call them in championship games. So hurricane fans can rest easy. The officials got this right. Uh, well, they're probably UAB's <laughs> playing Miami tonight, so hopefully they're hopefully they're behind again. But so Bama gets the ball back. They have the ball after the Clemson touchdown. Get to midfield, um, and, and that that I think is one of the things that that really was frustrating about this game. If if you're an Alabama fan, so you get to midfield, a couple of nice plays. You're starting to move the ball. First down. Bama attempts to throw. Hurts yeah. ends up running because he ran on a bunch of plays that were supposed to be. Uh, that were designed passes. Then they run on second down with Harris. They're at third and four. They throw again, and Hurts loses two yards to midfield. And I'm just sort of curious, if you're third and four and Hurts has struggled as much as he has, is this a place where you just run the ball twice, right? That if your strategy at the end of the half, when you wanted to burn the clock and you didn't trust your quarterback, once you get to midfield, even two runs, you have the opportunity to pin them deep with a punt, I just like normally I favor aggressiveness, but Alabama hadn't been aggressive the entire game. And so I'm curious 
why you would be aggressive or why you would, why you would be aggressive in this particular circumstance. Run the bow, run the bow. You got it. Yeah, there's so many times uh, during that game where I really it's, and it's not just if you're Alabama, it's not just because you're having success in the run game in general. Hertz is not really a capable passer downfield from what we've seen in this game so far. I mean, he's a freshman and playing a national title. It's great. We had a great freshman year, but I think you just got to go with your bread and butter at this point and stick with your strength. And they just kind of weren't doing it. The other thing you're going to do too, is at least, even if you don't score, you move the ball a little bit. They were getting first downs when they were running, eat clock, eat, eat the clock up a little bit and, and give Clemson less possessions. Well, rest your defense. Which is, yeah. you know, the defense is who you're relying yes. on. Rest. This was the one thing where, again, if 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 you can see that that Clemson's strategy is to just to to tire you out, then the opposite thing should be to to prevent it. And the thing is, is that they kept dropping back Hertz. He would have a read if it wasn't open. He would run. Mm-hmm. And you look at his stats. You go, okay, Hertz had ten rushes for sixty three yards, but he had a thirty yard run in the first half, and he had a thirty yard run that's coming up. And other than that, he didn't run the ball well at all. It was always a yard or two. Clemson was ready for it. Hertz was not doing anything when he got outside of the pocket. And so to be relying on that as sort of the conservative option off of the pass plays, just give it to Damian Harris and let him go. Give it to Josh Jacobs and let him go. Like you got five-star guys all over the offensive line. I don't feel like they stressed the Clemson defense trying to run the ball yeah. after the Scarborough touchdown that made it 14 nothing. Jacobs and Harris had seven combined carries in the game. Josh <laughs> Jacobs and Damian Harris had seven combined carries in this game. Well, and seven for 40, right? Yeah. It wasn't like they were seven for 12. Seven yeah. rushes for 40 yards. Yes. Same thing, Ardarius Stewart had one for 25. Hertz was 10 for 63, and Scarborough was 16 for 93. So you can talk about Scarborough going out of the game, but at the end of the day, it's not as though he was any more effective than the other two guys from a yards per carry perspective. Yeah, he hit the 37-yarder, and Harrison Jacobs only had 13 yarders. But, you know, if you're getting four or five – and it's funny because early in the game, Alabama got like four yards on a run. And, and Herb Street was like, they call that a win. When you get to third and – or when you get to second and six, that's a win. They weren't in second and six the entire freaking game because they threw the ball on first down so much. Do you think do you think losing Scarborough though, even though statistically same same effect? Do you think losing Scarborough though, maybe they didn't have the same comfort level with Jacobs or Harris? I, my guess would be yes if you're only giving them seven carries. I mean, maybe, but I also look at it. I don't necessarily feel like they their game plan was to have Hertz throw early, yeah. even in the first half, and so they didn't go away from that game plan. I just don't like the game plan. So. I back to back to Lane Kiffin being gone here. I recall this drive ending. This was the third and eleven where they dumped it off to OJ Howard, and Lawrence made the shoe staring tackle before the punt. You remember that play where OJ Howard awkwardly jumped up and grabbed the screen screen pass, or it definitely was intended for Harris. But like Howard was just standing right next to him, and like he jumped up and grabbed the ball out of the air. It looked completely disorganized. And that's back to like, but he takes it, he turns it because the blocking was so effective for the offensive line. He actually would have gotten the first down had Lawrence not come through and made an incredible shoestring tackle. But it was a really weird play. Both Chris and Kirk called it out in the game, but you got to look at that. Hey, is this, is this a Lane Kiffin effect? Like, if, is, 
is this happening if Kiffin's in the game? Or did Sark make some confusing call and O.J. Howard got confused? Or who knows? Well, so I, I, have, a, I have a couple of thoughts there. One is that O.J. Howard has to know that that's a screen to the running back. The fact that the tight end thinks it's a tight end screen and the running back thinks it's a running back screen, um, that kind of miscommunication, yeah, that might be a Kiffin to Sarkeesian um, Sarke- to Sarkeesian issue. Um, at, at the same time, like, I don't know that you can blame Sark for it just because it was a nice play call. Like, it was open at that point, yeah. um, you know, when, when, they, when they tried it. They actually did, I think, convert the first down to get to midfield after that play. And then they weren't able to move it any further from there. So, um, you know, again, I, I think that I hesitate to criticize the offense too much in most circumstances just because they had the lead almost the entire game. But one of the things that you do when you have the lead and an elite defense is you usually protect the defense. And that was the thing that they didn't necessarily do. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Watson wound up missing an open receiver on third down on the next drive and and Alabama, Alabama gets the ball back. And if you want to ask how Alabama lost this game, here's how they lost the game. Seven minutes and 34 seconds left. They're up by three points. They finally run the ball on first down for three yards but they then snap the ball with like 12 seconds left on the play play clock. Hertz drops back to throw, throws it away. Clock stops. Then on the next play, Hertz drops back and chucks a deep throw. It looked like it might've been open, but he missed Stewart on a deep throw and Alabama punts with six forty seven left. So they didn't even take a minute off the clock. 45 and, second drive. And, and Herb street saying, Sark saying, don't take a risk, just throw it up and see if you can hit it on the deep throw. And I'm like, that's not no taking a risk is ru- like not taking a risk is running the ball and the clock throwing it is stupid. If you're trying to be conservative um, again, it was one of those things where normally I will praise the, co- the coach who gets aggressive, but Hertz hadn't really give you given you a reason to be aggressive the entire game. Obviously if it's wide open, you have him throw it, but it wasn't a wide open thing. And it, you know, if you, if you run a minute off the clock, it changes what Clemson can do. Third down futility here. Looking deep for Stewart. Once again, he shoots it over the head of the receiver. Had no chance to make a play. Yeah, it's just throwing it and hoping. Uh, But it's safe. You got a three-point lead. Under seven minutes to go. You got a defense you believe in. That's Steve Sarkeesian saying, you know what? Let's not lose the game. Let's not take a chance. Yeah, I mean, you definitely got to run the first two downs there just for the clock alone. Not to mention you've had success with it, but chew up the clock, trust your defense in this situation. I think you're. I think it was they were close to midfield, if I'm not mistaken, on this. So you have a chance to pin Clemson deep. For the most part, your defense has been pretty doing pretty well in that situation. So why not at least if if you know if you're not going to score anyway, try to at least milk, milk the clock a little bit. We always talk about being aggressive. They certainly were aggressive. It just didn't work out for them. But I think when this run, in your running game, when you're Alabama and it, you have that type of running game, there's no reason to have a 45 second drive at this point. It's just it was horrendous, horrendous drive. Well, and it's being strategically aggressive, right? So if I have Deshaun Watson as my quarterback, fourth and one, I have no problem putting the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. But if I'm Alabama, Jalen Hurts isn't my best player on offense. So when I put the ball in his hands repeatedly over and over and over again, I'm at a disadvantage against the defense versus Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs. And even in the first half with Bo Scarborough, 
behind that offensive line, that's my best play, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you go down, you want to go down with your best play. And that's the criticism because, you know, if, 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 uh, if Dabo had been in the same situation up through Deshaun Watson, we're killing him for, for not throwing the ball, right? It's like, be aggressive, get the first down. You don't want to play conservative. You know, the team that plays conservative always loses. I just think it depends on who you're bet. It's, it's like a pitcher in baseball. Like if you got a 98 mile an hour heater, don't get beat on a slider, right? Especially if you don't have a very good slider. So sort of the same type of concept here, mm-hmm. you know, Alabama's slider is Jalen Hurts. Alabama's got a 98 mile an hour fastball and it's their running game on a big offensive line. And they decided, eh, why, why would we want to do that? Got to eat up more clock in 45 seconds. So the interesting thing, so Clemson gets the ball back again. It was, and, and this is why this is important because they get the ball back with 647 and they were able to sort of go short, short, short get a couple of first downs and then bang they hit they throw a ball up to Williams and one-on-one coverage down to the 30 there's an unsportsmanlike penalty on Deron Payne and all of a sudden they're sitting there you know at the Alabama 15 and it didn't take them very long to move down there but the reason that the long pass was open is because they had the time and the opportunity to hit those sort of two or three short throws to then force Alabama into one-on-one on the outside and hit Williams. And he, Williams to that point had been relatively quiet. I think he had a couple catches up to that point, but in terms of his big play ability from a first round talent, this was like really the biggest, one of his biggest plays of the night. Well, he'd actually been injured earlier in the game. There was a question on whether, whether the Alabama player should be knocked out for targeting because he had hit him sort hit it, hit him today. He would have been kicked out for targeting. Yeah. And that's funny when you're looking back at 2017, but the way they interpret it now, I, I suspect that they would have gone and reviewed it and, and it would have been a targeting penalty. But so after the unsportsmanlike penalty to Payne, Watson runs the ball down to the two on the edge, then Clemson stuffs at home. This is the 89th play for Clemson. It's 28 to 24 tigers are ahead now. And now you got, now you got Fowler going up oh, Alabama's best laid plans out the window. You play conservative. You rely on the defense. Can't do that anymore. I'm like, they haven't done that the whole game. <laughs> yeah. Watson did a nice Reggie Bush impression, leaping over a defender to almost score. It would have been Reggie Bush impression if he did score, but he got knocked out at the one Gallman took it in easily to put the tigers up 28, 24, 438 left in the game. And I think if you're an Alabama fan, you're just looking around going, how are we losing right now? <laughs> like, well, I, I mean, I'm stunned. I would have well, been stunned. Here's how they were losing. Clemson was leading in first downs 17 to three in the second half at this point. Oof. I mean, basically Alabama had not done anything on offense, but also hadn't run any clock on offense either, which meant that they just kept giving the ball back to Clemson. And Clemson was not – you know, I mentioned it earlier. They weren't incredibly effective on offense. They were just – they were – they had so many chances that eventually they were able to deliver a few times. And, and you know, on a per-play basis, they didn't get a whole lot of yards. But, but overall, they were up over 500 yards for the entire game. Yeah, and like you said, those – I mean, you've seen how many drives are putting together kind of back-to-back now. Whereas, like, that Clemson engine – the engine took a while to get started – and we're seeing it kind of go back to back to back at this point. So, so Alabama gets the ball back after Clemson's up 28-24. They throw on first down. Jalen Hurts throws it away. Um, you, you're freaking Alabama. Run the freaking ball. <laughs> that's, all I can, that's all I wrote down at that point. And the bowel. Then they, do a, then they throw a screen pass to the left for a loss. Bullware, the middle linebacker for Clemson, is reading the offense based on the motion, and he knows what's coming. 
and this again, I think we've, we've kept going back to it, the Sark versus Kiffin, but you compare that to Clemson. I remember there was one play where they had like six different motions that went on trying to throw Bama off balance and Bama did a really nice job of dealing with the motion, but there was none of that for Alabama, very limited motion. They, you know, Clemson kind of knew what was coming. Uh, and now you're sitting there third and 16. It really looks bad for Alabama. Reads the formation down in distance. There to blow the play up. Down in distance is ugly. They need third and 16. They failed on 11 straight third down plays. Hurts running out of time. Running to create some space. Lobs it back across to Ardarius Stewart, who comes back, makes a catch, but he's a yard short of the marker at the 41. What's Saban do here? It does, and Jalen Hurts at this point rolls out, and he lofts an absolute prayer over the middle. And I believe Stewart came down with the ball over the middle, but just a yard short of the first time. Totally ill-advised throw, completely improvised, not at all not at all on the play call. Just a roll to the right, and, hey, I think I can hit that. Just kind of chuck it up. It, was, it wasn't even like a low throw to the guy who was open. He was covered. He was covered. He just went up and got it over the middle and completely bailed Hurts out. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because that, that makes it fourth and one. And we've been yelling at him for not running the ball the entire time. It's fourth and one. Clemson has all their guys up front. And Alabama absolutely blows Clemson off the ball. And Damian Harris runs for five yards for a first down. And you're just sitting there going, easy. Like, easy. They had five yeah. yards every time they wanted it yep. when they ran the ball. If they just would have gone heavy in that second half and they just never decided to do it. And the interesting thing is, is, and this is where Sark got all of the, uh, got all the, the, the shine in this game, the next play, they call a backward pass. So mm-hmm. a lateral that looks like a pass from Hertz to our Darius Stewart, and then throws it to OJ Howard to the Clemson 30 for 24 yards. And all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there third and 16 Hertz is running out of the pocket, completely desperate, throws it back across his body. You're like, Oh, that's going to be picked. And, you know, all of a sudden it's it's first and ten at the Clemson thirty with you know with three minutes left. Look, Saban and Alabama, I, I you never count them out until they're absolutely done. You never count them out until they're absolutely done. So it's like even though it's third and sixteen, you're still watching it. Like you you just feel something coming still. And even if it was the luckiest play to throw the ball up in the middle of the field, it doesn't matter. That you just know they're going to get some kind of break like that. So then. To do to have a well played well placed ball, I thought Stewart threw a pretty good pass to Howard. That's a that's a big time call in that situation for Sark. We can give him some credit for that one. He was pretty good throwing it across the. It was the best ball Bama threw across the middle yeah, of the entire game. Well thrown ball. It's a well thrown ball. So <laughs> so at the, at the next point at the next play, they're sitting at the thirty yard line. Hertz scrambles, nearly falls, but recovers and weaves his way through the Clemson defenders. Breaks a tackle and just takes it right in the end zone. And there's two, a little over two minutes left. And, and the freshman quarterback, after having a pretty rough day through the year, comes through on the ground, Will. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, I don't think you can put this game on Hurts. I think you, you look at it and say he did enough to have them ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think the game plan was kind of crappy. But, and I think Clemson defense is, is obviously pretty good. And, but, you know, you got the big play to Howard – for the touchdown earlier, the dagger, you get the big run from, from 
from Hertz. You got the two big runs from Scarborough. Like they got big explosive plays to score touchdowns. The issue with Alabama wasn't that they couldn't get the big play. The issue with Alabama is they couldn't get a couple of first downs when they needed it mm-hmm. at a few other drives where it was just like, all right, we're going to, we're going to give our defense a little bit of a blow. And that's really what you saw in the last drive when Clemson got the ball back. I mean, so Alabama had the ball with 4:38 at the start of the drive. Hertz scores. There was 2:07 left. Clemson gets the ball back, and again, it was sort of that short, short, short bang. Right? Alabama kept bringing pressure on every play. They decided they were not going to play zone, and it was an interesting strategy and one that didn't necessarily work out for them. I mean, you have to you have to think as a Bama fan. Our freshman quarterback redeems himself, puts us up with 207 to play. The t- national title with two minutes left is in the hands of Saban and his defense. We got this. So whatever, whatever he's calling, you're probably like, it's fine. We'll figure it out. We'll get well, it eventually. I, and, and that's the thing is that I, I do think that the, I get extraordinarily upset when people play prevent defense mm-hmm. late and you're up by a field goal, right? Because it's 31 to 28. And so I don't think you should sit back and play a zone until they, you know, they hit a big throw to Williams one-on-one to the Bama 40. Physical fatigue for Bama. Can they tough it out and still contain and pressure number four, get after him and not give him time to throw? They bring pressure, but it's picked up. And Williams down the sideline makes another big catch. He beat Averett and the Tigers threaten again. And Bama's still bringing pressure. They run a little weird hook and lateral on a, on a screen pass. I've never seen anything like it for about five yards. So now you're sitting there. It's third and three with 30 seconds left. Clemson's kind of letting the clock run. The time management for Clemson was just awful. They blew a full minute on two plays. Well, and they had timeouts, right? It wasn't yeah. like they didn't they had have two timeouts. timeouts. Yeah. It's, it's funny because this – had this gone the wrong way for Clemson, I'm not sure Swinney would have been able to come back to South Carolina <laughs> because the time management was just awful. But Alabama, even at that point, third and three, 30 seconds left, they're letting the clock down. They hit Renfro for a first down with 19 seconds left. Bama's still blitzing. They mm-hmm. hit Leggett inside the 10 with 14 seconds left. Bama blitzed again. They finally rush four with a spy. It's incomplete with nine seconds left. Like it feels like this is the time you want to play coverage because you know, Deshaun Watson, he has shown an ability to beat the blitz. You want to stay out of one-on-one coverage. Once you get down to a point where the field goal is a certainty, I think before the field goal is a certainty, I can understand going after him, trying to either drive him out of field goal range or trying to prevent him from getting into field goal range in the first place. But this is one of those where bend, but don't break seems like the right call to make. I, I agree with you strategically, but when Mika Fitzpatrick and Marlon Humphrey are in your defensive backfield, you probably have some confidence in those guys. And they've come through for you time and time again all year if you're Coach Saban. And I, I think that it was just – maybe that was the decision. Hey, we're going to go mano a mano and try this thing out. Like, we, we should make this – we should make we should make these plays. I believe in our guys we're going to make these plays. And when you win four out of seven national titles – you kind of have the confidence to go out there and do that. You're not, you're not going to get too conservative. 
Yeah, but Deshaun Watson's a little bit different than whoever played for Texas after they knocked out Colt McCoy, right? <laughs> like, like, like it's just a different, it's a different, different kind of, different kind of environment there. And you know, so the next play, there's a pass interference there again in man-to-man coverage. Pass interference um, puts the ball at the two, and, and this is one of those cases where the Alabama defensive back got beat, right? He got beat and he grabbed. It's a good call. No doubt this is a good call. And, you know, six seconds left, all of a sudden the ball's the two. I don't think you should be calling pass interferences this late in the national championship game. I've been very consistent about the, the opinion throughout this entire podcast. And that's dedicated to all my Miami Hurricane fans out there. <laughs> so, Clear pass interference, good call. First and goal from the two-yard line. Uh, again, this is one of those things that I think is – Interesting to put into perspective. Nobody rumors. Six seconds left, first down. They have time for two plays. And they should have time for four, at least. Yes. Like, yes. this is something where, you know, the even the Miami game we, we went over last time, Miami got to fourth down because they were able to manage the time when they got down here. This was a complete mismanagement of the time. Mm-hmm. The But, again, Alabama's in man-to-man. The ex, basically the same rub route, just this time it's Renfro who ends up being the one going to the outside, gets the touchdown, and now it's 35-31 Clemson with one second left. And you do wonder if, if, if they'd have sat in zone, would they have run out six seconds? Would they have been able to stop it? Yeah, you got to think that Watson might have held the ball if he didn't see Renfro because Renfro was wide open from the get-go. So Watson released it right away, and there was still one second on the clock. You got to think if Watson doesn't see an open guy, he's holding it and he's trying to make some magic with his feet. And I don't think they're getting another play. I think that's the last play either way. Well, this goes back to your mano a mano thing, which is that it was obvious from the formation that Alabama was in man. Yeah. And very clearly that rub play was Clemson's man beater. And, you know, the reality is unless you get the pass interference call, that play should be a touchdown every time. We actually saw it last week when we were talking about Clemson, Miami. Ken Dorsey, they run the Miami runs almost the exact same play against Ohio State, and Dorsey just misses it, right? right? But the right. play's wide open. So, you know, if if the officials aren't calling that play and they didn't call it earlier, and they're not going to call it on the last play of the game, like I, this again, if you're going to go back and make a criticism um, from the, I get it, you've got really good defensive backs, you've played man all year, but that's part of what what Saban should should be able to do, right? Is make an adjustment based on what the officials are doing and what the opponent's doing. I, I, and again, strategically, I do agree with that. I just, I, I, I understand. Uh, excuse the graphics here. All right, we'll invest – if we uh, get a little more Patreon subscribers, maybe we can invest in the graphics department. But if look at the receiver on the ground here. And I want to say this is uh, Artavis Scott for Clemson. Look at – he's literally on his hands and knees blocking the – how is this not called? Are you telling me that's not a route? How is this not called? I mean, he literally put his head into the defender. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm over the mic yelling. He put his head into the defender – fell forward and the defender pushed him down. And I almost think that because the defender pushed him down to, to get off of him, that it made it look like the defender made the move a little bit, which might have saved them. It might have saved Clemson. But I, I, you just watch it over and over again. You go, yeah, that's, that's a pick. That's a pick over and over again. Well, I got to be honest. This play call is one that I hope is in Florida's repertoire. Yeah. For, uh, because this should be the key, like when you're going for a touchdown at the end of the game – or when you're going for a two-point conversion that you need at the end of the game. Make the ref call it. Make him call it because yeah. 
the, the reality is, is you're still going to have time. Even if there's the penalty, you still got one more shot. And if they're going to be in man-to-man coverage, make the official make the call because for the most part, they're going to swallow their whistle. So I needed to go back to understand this and I, I, I did a little research, but essentially what the refs are looking for is does the offense initiate contact with the defender both times and i don't know if the folks at home remember the 2014 notre dame game where they went into tallahassee at florida state with Everett golson at quarterback uh they ran that exact play almost on the last play and it was called back and fsu ended up holding on to win that game uh you know coming off this is a year coming off the national title for the Knolls, so this would have been a big upset notre dame going into tallahassee winning that game but Notre Dame had ran a very similar play, rub route, which was actually a pick route earlier in the game. And you got to think, even with Saban, so Saban doesn't get the call in the second quarter. You would think he would have worked that into the official's mind, like, do not let that happen again. Like, that, that's the shocking part of this is you got Nick Saban on the sideline and that this happened twice, twice to Nick Saban. That's the part that I know it's the last second in the national title game, but – I would think that Nick Saban would have been all over that first one that it would never have happened again. Uh, You know, this is going to be a hot take here, but Saban is an unbelievable administrator of his program. And Alabama wins a ton of games Uh because he has better players than everyone else. And I have no doubt that they are well-prepared, that the weight room is run perfectly that he that he preaches the process and his players buy in but when you oatmeal pies for breakfast too but when you look when you look at his resume where they have blown things that didn't make a whole lot of sense i think you can look at this game and say this is a game alabama should have won i think you can go back and look at the kick six against auburn and say that's a game alabama should have won i think you can look at the cam newton game against against auburn and say that's a game that they should have won um you know and again, if you're a coach for any length of time, you're going to lose games where maybe you do some things that are wrong, but you know, you're sitting there going, Nick Saban should be like drilling it in. Basically you want him to get a technical foul there in the second quarter. So, so that in the fourth quarter, the official think, is hurt. I, I would think he would have sat in that guy's ear for a good five minutes. And then especially when you're they're driving down the field, they see him in the formation that he's like, all over that, like that he would be – they're driving down the field. Make sure you watch that pick play in the end zone. I, I, you would think you would hear that from him. I don't know. Yeah. But, again, well, so, it's, it's funny. I, th- I thought – I didn't know you were such an Alabama homer. Every, every loss Nick Saban has, he should have won. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, you know, when you've got better players than everybody, you ought to win the damn game. Yo, it also Wait. helps, though, that a school that hadn't won a national title since 1981 catches a pass to beat big bad Alabama – and end the winning streak, and the place just goes nuts right away when Renfro catches that ball. If you're the ref, you're probably like, do I want to be a part of this festival discussion that we had last week? No, it was close. If if you are the ref, that's a tough one. If Bama can hold him out, perhaps a field goal attempt for overtime. Watson. Well, that's why I said when we talked about the rub route in, in the second quarter that that's the one I would have expected to be called. Because, one, I think it was a little bit more blatant. 
and and two it's one where yeah it impacts the outcome of the game but it's one of those things that gets forgotten over the course of a game as opposed to if you throw the flag on this one um and alabama wins you know clemson doesn't think it's legitimate all the other teams in the sec silently go "Ooh, the sec won it again but then but then gives bama fans crap because you know it, telling them it's not really a legitimate title so really what i'm saying is the officials should throw the flags because even though their lives are miserable it makes our ability to troll the opposition a little bit easier <laughs> yeah i i think this is one clemson got away with two they didn't get away with one. They got away with two. That's the shocking part. I can understand getting away with one. The second one in that situation, pretty tough to believe. Yeah. But, so good, but good for the Tigers and good for Dabo. Absolutely. So Clemson wins 35-31. The main takeaways I took from this one, um, the clock management by Clemson on the final drive was absolutely awful and completely gets forgotten. Because mm-hmm. if everything hadn't gone right and Bama wins this game, I think, I think Dabo gets crucified for the clock management there at the end. Um, I think the Scarborough injury didn't cost Alabama the game. I don't even think Sarkeesian lost in the game. Um, I, I think just a comedy of errors cost them a game. And some of that might be Sark, but you know, you got a 24, 14 lead going into the fourth quarter. Um, you got to win the game. Yo, we picked on Sark in the offense all night, but Sark in the offense put Alabama ahead with two minutes to win the national title. They, they, they put it on their defense. Like I, I think that's a great performance overall for being thrown into the mix like that for Sarkeesian overall. I know the mistakes were there. Probably a different story if Lane Kiffin's around. Have to think that's a different game if Lane Kiffin's calling it, but difficult situation all the way around. Alabama kind of did it to itself a little bit, and I think Sarkeesian Sarkeesian and Hurts, they they came up big when needed, right? Well, so Bama finishes with 32 passes and 34 rushes, but that doesn't include a bunch of the Hertz runs that were broken pass plays. So really they threw the ball more than they ran it. I think that's the criticism. If you go and look at, at Sark is, yeah. you know, they just, and, and they were doing that before Scarborough went out. And that's why time of possession was 35, 25 in Clemson's favor. The Tigers had 99 plays in the game compared to 30 or to 66 for the tide and the defense just got worn out in the end. And that's all fair. That's all fair. What you're saying, but it was 31 to 27. The most important statistic with two minutes left in the game, Sark and the freshmen, they did what they needed to do to get the job done. And those guys were on the sideline when Clemson ended up winning the game. Yeah, so well, I, as, as ugly as it was at times, they did say, Hey, we, we put us in the spot to win. Well, and Bama should have won this game, right? 14, nothing. Yeah. 24 to 14, yep. two turnovers deep in Clemson territory that only turn into three points, two false starts right after those turnovers up 24 to 14 going into the fourth quarter, just had to run the clock, refused to do it. You know, Clemson took its shots on fourth down deep in its own territory, late win in field goal range. You know, that's the other thing is they could have just run the ball a couple of times, called timeout and kicked field goal to go to overtime, but they didn't, they kept chucking it. Right. And Bama sort of lived by the blitz and died by the blitz, but, but Clemson had to take advantage of that. And they were able to do that, especially on that last drive. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, nobody feels bad for Bama except Bama on this game with this, <laughs> with the no call at the end too. And, I think if the call went the other way and Bama won on a pick route flag and they end up winning the title, I think we'd still hear about it today. I think it'd be, <laughs> it'd be pretty bitter because I think most of college football is like, it's not that they cared that Clemson won. It was just like, oh, it's not Alabama. Okay. Well, 
All I know is if Alabama's had a bunch of close calls in the national championship, and I'd much rather have them lose to Clemson and then beat Georgia than the other way around. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll take it that way. So important question to ask you, do you think Lane Kiffin was disappointed or did he light a cigar at the end of this one after Saban essentially fired him? <laughs> I have Lane Kiffin. This is like, they're going to make a movie about him one day about his revenge story. Like I, I think he just, he went to Boca he he lay he did not lay low. I was about to say he laid low, but no, he didn't, because he's Lane Kiffin, and I think that this guy the full cigar doesn't get lit until Ole Miss beats Alabama at some point. But he definitely was. I, I'll definitely say he busted out a cigar. Like he he definitely enjoyed his night that night. I think now he he won't be able to beat Alabama until COVID is completely over and past, because you know he's going to want to go out to the frat parties after they beat Alabama and, and have a good time. So uh, they're all in for that one. They're going to sit everyone. They're not going to show anything on film. They're going to go one and nine this year and go all out for Alabama. That's, hey, I got, that's what I'm thinking. I, I got to tell you, I'm happy to have Lane Kiffin back in the SEC. That's, that's all I know. So hey, big, big picture here. Um, for me, it's Clemson establishes itself as a legitimate competitor in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's schedule still leaves something to be desired. Obviously they get Notre Dame this year. So that'll be nice that they might even have to play a, a top 10 team a couple of times, but you know, again, that's always been the criticism of Clemson is it's been sort of an easy ride to the national championship. But you know what? When you win the when you win in the round of four and then you beat Alabama for the title, it's it's a title well earned. Hey, this was this was still a time where people used the term Clemsoning. Remember that people they, you talk about Clemson, they couldn't get they couldn't get over the hump. This was the official end to that. I said at the beginning, big boys of college football, welcome to the club. Underdog status is over, but really. If you go back and look at their their schedules, Clemson really started turning the corner in 2013. They had lost that after 2012. They lost the Orange Bowl. They gave up 70 to West Virginia in that Orange Bowl, if you remember that game. But since then, they've been a very consistent program. It's just I think the national title just legitimizes what they had been doing since. So I think that's something where Dabo cemented himself as an elite coach. And especially during that era, FSU had just won the national title in 2013. They were still a strong program, and they had gone 10-3 and three that year and won the Orange Bowl, and you kind of felt like, hey, it's going to go be back and forth between FSU and Clemson for a little bit. But we didn't know FSU was about to fall off a cliff. Uh, I tell you what, maybe this was the end of Clemsoning, but they really walked that tightrope because they almost didn't pull this out against Alabama. And you already mentioned the Nathan Peterman experience with, uh, with the pit loss earlier in the year, really pretty fortunate that they were able to get back into the, you know, fortunate that the playoff existed, right? That if the playoff hadn't existed, you're probably looking at Ohio state versus Alabama in a championship game, as opposed to Clemson having an ability to play their way back in. But uh, you know, from the standpoint of what ifs, do you have a what if for this one that uh, you know, if if it had gone a little bit differently, uh, maybe the game's outcome is different. What if Hunter Renfro misses that tackle? What if he misses that tackle? That I, I, I can't I, – that was such a good ta- – I mean, if you go back and watch that play, such a little guy making a big – such a big guy go up, it, like, <laughs> like just completely knocking him off his feet. This wasn't like a dragging him down desperation thing. It's a great hit. It was from behind, but it was a good hit. Yeah, my, my what if is actually the first fumble, right? The, the fumble that it's a bad snap to Watson. Mm-hmm. Alabama takes over the 35. They have an opportunity to go up 14, nothing. And the second Scarborough run hadn't even happened yet. And they already had Clemson sort of on the, on their heels. And I really do wonder whether Clemson would have been able to recover if they get that fumble at the 35, you know, 
get the ball, drive the ball down and punch it in from close in, you know, I, I do wonder whether they would have been able to recover. But, you know, again, that's part of it is that defensive line we talked about with those first-round guys up there, um, NFL guys all over the place, and, and Clemson was able in. to hold. Yeah, so the Urban in. Meyer indigestion moment of the game, sponsored by Papa John. So, Papa John's, call us up. We need you to sponsor us. But, um, but you know, obviously the throw to Renfo for a touchdown. But actually for me, it was the, it was the third and 16 when Hertz completes the miracle. Yeah, um, You know, he runs for the touchdown. I thought Bama had escaped. And that third and 16 was something where you're like, he hasn't completed a ball from past the line of scrimmage other than the third of Howard pretty much all game. You figured the game, I mean, what's Alabama going to do? You almost wondered if they had a backup quarterback or something they could bring in to throw it on third and 16. And all of a sudden gets it to fourth and one, Alabama converts it and then ahead and makes this into a classic when maybe it would have just been something that we went, ah, Alabama lost. I I, uh, I was too stunned to have indigestion in that moment. I still can't believe that play when you watch it <laughs> over and over again. But I, we're on the same drive, though, Will, because I my my indigestion moment of the game, brought to you by Papa John's, is uh, when when Hertz ran it in for the touchdown to put the tie up late. Because I think everyone was feeling it at that point. Clemson's offense had been clicking, so you know Bama fans got to be a little nervous. The Clemson fans are nervous. The people, the neutral people, are nervous. So I think that that was my moment where I was like, you're just on the edge of your seat for that last Clemson drive. Yeah, so the Gary Danielson, how long until you mute the commentators award? It, who you got here? You, I think you and I have a little bit of a disagreement here. I am a huge fan of Kirk Herbstreit and, and Chris Fowler. I, I, I think that they do a pretty, they do a pretty solid job on, on most games I listen to. There's sometimes they'll get off on a tangent or whatever, but I'm going to put this one. I don't have a specific quote like I usually do for this, so I'm going to say they kind of just made a couple of jokes about the pick plays. I wish they would have broken them down more. Like, talk to me about why that wasn't called or what that wasn't. Like, give me a little more analysis on it instead of being like, whoa, they really got away with that one. Like, so I just give me, like, a little more, like, why? Like, what, what, what was that all about? Why? You didn't want to have to look up the rule after the telecast, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's right. Like, like how about, like, talk to me. I mean, I, the, the end result, I, I read up on something with the last play. Marlon Humphrey apparently initiated contact on that. I'm calling BS a little bit, but that mm. was the justification for the call. But they're saying the defense initiated contact. So now that I understand the rule better, it's easier to watch. But, hey, we had two guys making a lot of money that could have explained that to us. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You, you said Fowler and Herb Street are, are decent, or I don't know exactly how you described them. Solid. I, I said vanilla, right? That was sort of yeah. my, my initial thought is they're not good. They're not bad. It's just one of those things where you're like, it doesn't feel like a big game like it does when it's Keith Jackson or like it does when it's Vern Lundquist. And, you know, maybe we don't have that guy right now, but, you know, I'm so used to Fowler doing like go, doing tennis, game the, oh, tennis. And, and game day, but then tennis, it's just, it's a very different feel. And, and I think in 2017, they were still feeling themselves out. It'll be interesting when I watch them this year to see whether, uh, whether it feels a little bit different, but uh, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is that at no point did they mention that Alabama, they mentioned a lot that they missed Bo Scarborough. Mm-hmm. but they didn't at any point really criticize Alabama for any of their play calling, particularly late when they didn't run any clock. They just completely glossed over it. And that was one of those where it's like, hey, like I know that you need the interviews with Saban and you know he's going to be there for the next decade, but uh, hey, guys, you got you to actually tell us what's going on in this one. Yeah, those so, relationships are real. 
So the Donald Trump lies we tell ourselves, this is what the opposing team or the opposing team's fans tell themselves to make themselves feel better after, after a loss like this. So what do you got for this category? The, the non-political Don, Donald Trump lies we tell ourselves. I, I like that addition last week, the non-political. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever, man. Can't, ha- can't, have, can't have the MAGA people reaching out or the, or the Biden supporters. So um, anyway, so the lies we tell ourselves. What's, the, what's, dynasty, what's the dynasty is dead. <laughs> good run saving good run saving I, I like every loss it's just like well you know they can't handle a scrambling quarterback it's a scrambling quarter it's just like the dynasty no no it's not the dynasty will be dead when nick saban's gone they're in the hunt until further notice they're just too talented i feel like he's still gonna haunt his successor like he'll show up around the facility after he retires and just be like, you're not running the process right. And it'll still be like a machine that he's set up to just run. Like there'll be like a Nick Saban robot or something that they install as the head coach. I, I, picture, I, I picture like Nick Saban being the first ghost to be like, leave me alone. Just like, he doesn't haunt us. He's just here. Like he's not bothering <laughs> me. Just don't talk to him. Don't make eye contact, but just leave, leave me alone. <laughs> He'll haunt you if you make eye contact. Yeah. As, long, as long as you leave him alone, he doesn't mind. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's totally okay. I, I wouldn't call him a friendly ghost per se, but like, you know, he's over there. He's, he's, an, indif- he's an indifferent ghost. He's watching up. He's an indifferent ghost. Nick Saban, <laughs> the indifferent ghost. So my lies, we tell ourselves, Bama fans, the game would have been different if Saban hadn't run off Kiffin prior to the game. I think that's one of the things they go back to. And, and certainly we talked a lot about Kiffin and Sarkeesian, but, you know, you're up 24-14 going in the fourth quarter. This one's on Saban. This one ain't on Kiffin. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you got to win that one. So the Allen Covert the Alan Covert award. That's the guy who's, or one of the guys who's one of Adam Sandler's friends in, in all of his movies. But one of the guys you don't actually know who Alan Covert is other than maybe you follow him on Twitter and realize that he is a Trump supporter. But uh, so who's your guy that maybe you didn't remember or you didn't remember how good he was, or, you know, he was just, it was one of those guys where you, you think back in this game and obviously Deshaun Watson stands out, but who, right. who do you remember that, that was just great or great in this game that you didn't, didn't really remember that way going well, in. I'm, I'm almost a little ashamed of my pick now because we spent so much time talking about him, but I, I picked up on this watch him, but Bo Scarborough was so good. He was so good in this game. I mean, and I really kind of went toward him because he hasn't had that NFL career, you know, similar to like where I felt like Trent Richardson would have been a great NFL back. Like these guys at Bama that just crush it. They go in the NFL and they're kind of like, they, they don't get to make it, but man, Scarborough just looked completely dominant. And when he left the game, it just felt like a little bit of momentum shift. But you said statistically, not that much different. Just great running backs. And we look behind him, and it's just Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs. No big deal. So, yeah, I think they were fine on the running back department. But it just uh, – losing him, that was kind of it, – it just felt a little like a little bit of a blow for the Bama offense. But he was great when he was in. Absolutely. My guy, it's interesting. Uh, you know, Scarborough, obviously not a uh, – I mean uh, – not a household name maybe, but a guy that you, uh, a guy you remember if you watch the game or if you watch right. Alabama, same thing for me. I, I say Mike Williams, you know, he had yeah. 98 catches in 2016. Herb street kept calling him the best receiver in the country. I barely remember the guy, right? Like I remember Hunter Renfro. I remember, I remember Deshaun Watson. I remember Bolwer, middle linebacker, right? I don't remember oh, Mike yeah. Williams. And he was an enormous part of winning this game. I mean, Renfro caught, 
caught a bunch of balls for 96 passes for 96 yards, but those were the little short things we've been talking about the whole mm-hmm. game. And then the one touchdown reception, Williams made probably two or three explosive plays that got them in position and really led to touchdowns. Yeah, I, I honestly thought I was going to end up picking uh, Ren, uh, not Renfro, uh, Ben Bulware when we, when I started watching this because I had an idea. I just remember him being so uh, boisterous after the game. You just remember, and he had some big plays in the game too, but yeah, it just didn't impact the game like some of these other guys. Yeah, so Clemson wins this one 35-31. Next time, this one's for the children of the corn. So Nebraska fans and players should enjoy this one because there certainly isn't any Husker football to watch right now. Oh. But we're, we're going to go back and review Missouri-Nebraska 1997. The play I saw on the line today known as the Immaculate Deflection. I had never heard that before. <laughs> but, you know, the game that both preserved and cost Nebraska the 1997 National Championship, depending upon which poll you were looking at. So Tom Osborne's last ride should, should be fun, Nick. Quarterback Scott Frost, Matt, David, Matt Davidson, forever a Husker legend, making the catch. Hey, Scott Frost winning a real national championship. That should be fun. Half of one. <laughs> so that's co-host Nick Knudsen. You can find Nick on Twitter, at Nick Knudsen FB, writing at Read and Reaction, or at his website, AmericanFootballStories.com. My name is Will Miles. You can find me on Twitter at WillMilesSEC or at my website, ReadingReaction.com. Remember to like and subscribe on YouTube. Leave iTunes reviews. Support us on Patreon if you're able uh, by following the link in the show notes. This has been 2020 Hindsight. See you next time.